Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then Jesus is questioned about fasting. Now Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. I beg your pardon. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. And now on the love of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Arbathah the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And so, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time he went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger 
and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much, Derry and Annika. Um, Becky's now going to speak to us, but I would like to pray for her before she starts. Lord, we thank you so much for Becky. Thank you so much for the way that she shines in your presence. And we pray that you would use her this morning to speak to us, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say through her words. And we pray for your peace and your authority on her now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, to make sure we're all awake this morning, I have got uh, a bit of a challenge for us. Um, but before um, I start the challenge, um, I have a bit of a confession to make, um, because I got the idea for this challenge from a speed awareness course I did a few months ago. Um, <laughs> I did get caught speeding and very reluctantly turned up at this course, only to find it was very useful in lots of ways for my driving, but also to give me this illustration. So in a minute, this, uh, there's a picture of someone's desk that's going to come up on the screen, and you're going to have five seconds to count how many pens there are in the picture. So you're only going to have five seconds. So ready, steady, go. Okay, I think that's enough time. Brilliant. Any, any thoughts of how many pens there were in that picture? About 13, 10, 11. Brilliant. Well, someone, there was someone who said 10. I'm, I'm going to ask for the picture to come back up on the screen again. And for, for many of you, uh, including myself, you would have been so busy looking for the detail of the pens that you might not have spotted the words right in the top left-hand corner if the picture just comes up, where it says, in this picture, there are 10 pens and two pencils. Sorry if the writing was a bit small. Um, but when I, when I went on the course, of course, it's important when you're driving um, that you uh, really see what is going on on the roads around you, and that you look for, for the speed signals, obviously. Um, but also, I'd like to suggest in the Christian life uh, that we need Jesus' help to see things with the right perspective. In the passage we've read this morning, we see several encounters that Jesus has with the Pharisees, where they are so caught up in their religious rituals that they fail to see the bigger picture of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Uh, so let's pray just as we begin to look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of scripture that we're about to look at. And we pray that by your spirit you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are doing in the passage and in our own lives. That we may see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, uh, we see Jesus having um, four encounters with, uh, with people, uh, which each demonstrate that the kingdom of God is about relationship with him and not religion. And right at the beginning of the passage, we see an invitation into that relationship with Jesus as he calls Levi the tax collector. This Levi is later renamed Matthew and becomes one of the 12 apostles. 
I wonder how Levi would have felt sitting there at the tax collector's booth as Jesus arrived in town and began teaching the crowd. Being a tax collector, he would have been seen as a collaborator with the Romans and therefore would have been ostracized by his fellow Jews. I wonder if he would have discounted the possibility of being a follower of Jesus. He was in the wrong kind of job. He didn't have the right kind of friends. He liked money a bit too much. How often do we discount ourselves or others from following Christ? Yet, Jesus sees Levi. Jesus knows him. Jesus loves him. And Jesus calls him. We read in Mark 2, verse 14, Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. With God, through Christ, there is mercy to forgive the greatest sins and transform the greatest sinners into kingdom builders. Matthew went on to become an evangelist, the first to put pen to paper, and wrote the fullest account of the life of Christ. I'd love to encourage you this morning to hear those words of Jesus afresh, whether for the first time or the 50th time. Whatever barriers we've built up or walls to discount ourselves from what Jesus is calling us to do, let's hear those words to us this morning. Follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus and do the things he calls us to do? Over the last two weeks, as we've begun looking at Mark, we've seen Jesus announcing that the kingdom of God is near. And we've discovered some of his priorities as he began his ministry. Mike suggested that his main priorities were prayer, preaching, and setting people free and healing them. I'd like to unpack today's passage to see what more we can discover from these encounters Jesus had with Levi, the other tax collectors, and the Pharisees. There's a lot we could delve into, but since we've got communion today and I've only got 15 minutes, I'd like to focus on the way Jesus prioritizes relationship over religion. Looking at verses 15 to 17, we see that Jesus um, has dinner at, the, at Levi's house. Um, and we see that firstly, that Jesus is not afraid to associate with people who were socially unacceptable, the tax collectors and the sinners. Why? Because it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. These are the people that needed the love, the forgiveness and the healing that Jesus came to offer. These are the people who are open to his message of salvation. These are the people that his father had sent him to. He came to seek and save the lost. Who are the people that God is calling us to? Who are the people that our society might dismiss or be suspicious of or avoid associating with? Following this meal at Levi's house, where Jesus is criticized by the Pharisees for his choice of friends, Jesus has three other encounters with the Pharisees, which we've heard. Each time he shows them what the gospel is really about. Fellowship with God is not based on the law. It is based on God's faithfulness to his word of grace. God's determination to restore our relationship with him is seen so clearly in the words of Jesus in John 3 verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
In Jesus' next encounter, in verse 18, he's questioned about fasting and asked why his disciples are not fasting like the Pharisees and, the John, and John the Baptist's disciples. The primary fast of the Jews was the Day of Atonement, when one of seven annual solemn assemblies in the Law of Moses. But the Pharisees also fasted on the second and fourth days of the week. Apparently, the disciples of John were doing something similar. Although such fasting was not part of the law of Moses, by Jesus' day, it had become an important expression of the Pharisees' meticulous devotion to the ceremonial law. It was possible that it was on one of these fast days when Jesus and his disciples were feasting with Levi and his friends, which would have enraged the Pharisees further. To the Pharisees, if Jesus' disciples were, were not fasting, it called into question their devotion to the ceremonial law and therefore Jesus' attitude towards it. Jesus' response to them is that there is a time and season for everything. After Jesus was gone, fasting would have a place in the Christian community. It would remind believers of their dependence on God, their need for God's mercy, and the power of God for the salvation of those who believe the gospel. Until then, however, Jesus' disciples had no reason to fast. The presence of the Son of God on earth with his disciples was a time of joy, not sorrow. The time of sorrow would come later, when Jesus was killed and taken away. Also, fasting in the manner of the Pharisees as a sign of their devotion to the ceremonial law was incompatible with the new covenant that Jesus was bringing. For Jesus' disciples, fasting while Jesus was with them would have been like sewing a new piece of cloth on an old garment. It would not work. Old garments would have shrunk over time, and so the new cloth would cause a tear. Jesus' point was the old has gone and the new has come. He uses a second analogy of how putting new wine in old wineskins causes the wine to burst out and ruins both the skins and the wine. As Norman said a few weeks ago, Jesus is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is near and it's too big and wonderful to fit into the old structures. It would just burst out. New wine requires new skins. Today, it's still easy to pour the new wine of the gospel into the old wineskins of the law. Grace doesn't come easily to us. We like to have a way of measuring where we stand with God. The gospel tells us to simply trust God that he loves us and has forgiven all our sins through Christ. Are there things in our lives that we are relying on to make us right with God rather than his gospel of grace? In the next encounter Jesus has with the Pharisees in verses 23 to 28, they challenge him about allowing his disciples to pick corn on the Sabbath, which is seen as reaping and therefore a type of work. Again, the Pharisees are missing the point. They are so caught up in the detail of the law that they forget what the Sabbath is all about. It is a day of rest to spend with God. It is meant to be a privilege and a benefit, not a task and a drudgery. As Jesus explains to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here, Jesus' disciples were walking along, spending time with Jesus, 
the Lord of the Sabbath. And he was not condemning them for picking up an instant McDonald's breakfast on their way to church. Jesus reminds the Pharisees of a time when King David, who was a great Jewish hero and man after God's own heart, allowed his companions who were hungry to eat the bread that was lawful for only the priests to eat. Again, through this example, Jesus is trying to explain to the Pharisees that the gospel he brings is about relationship with God through grace, not about religious rituals. I know how easy it is to get sucked into legalism. We can set all kinds of rules for our lives, especially when it comes to what we eat. How often do we beat ourselves up for eating a chocolate bar or feel a great sense of pride for choosing a salad over a steak? I remember when I was 14 watching the film Chariots of Fire and being really inspired by Eric Liddell, who was a, an Olympic runner and refused to run on a Sunday. He made a choice that really did honor God. As a teenager, I decided I was never going to do homework on a Sunday, uh, which was good for me in many ways. <laughs> it gave me a chance to have a break, to go to church, to spend time with God and my family. Uh, but there was one occasion when I was doing my art homework, and it was due in for Monday, and it was getting late on Saturday night, and my mum came in and suggested that I go to bed. I got into a massive strop with her and said that I had to get it done by midnight because then it was Sunday and I couldn't work. My poor mum had the opposite problem with my brother of getting him to actually start his homework. Um, but I was very grateful and thankful for her patience and wisdom as she came and sat down among my paintbrushes and papers and found this passage in the Bible. She explained, opened it up and ex explained what Jesus meant when he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Would it not be more restful and better for me and for my relationship with God and for my relationship with my family to get some, a good night's sleep? and to finish my art before church in the morning. Does this mean that the law doesn't matter? No. Jesus says in Matthew 15, verse 17, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The ceremonial and civic laws were set to structure how Israel's society should work until the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. So when he came, died, and rose again, he fulfilled those laws and brought in a new covenant, which was not based on animal sacrifices or circumcision, but was based on his blood shed on the cross for our sins. Relationship with God is made possible through Jesus. The moral laws of the Old Testament Jesus upholds. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says they are just the start of living rightly with God. What matters more is the heart behind these laws. In Matthew 5, verse 21, he says, You have heard that it was said to a people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. That's a big ask. The purpose of the law is not to make us right with God, but to show us what sin is and our need for a savior. Paul writes in Romans 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is it lawful? Is, sorry, is, um, what shall we say then? Is the, sin, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, 
I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The Pharisees in today's passage were taking pride in the way that they followed the law. But Jesus was saying it wasn't enough to make them right with God. We all mess up and get stuff wrong in our actions and our hearts. So we need a perfect savior. And praise God that in Jesus, he has come. The fourth encounter Jesus has with the Pharisees in this passage is in the synagogue. They're looking for a way to accuse him. So when they see a man with a shriveled hand turns up in the synagogue, they think this is their perfect opportunity. Rather than having compassion on the man, they plot that if Jesus heals him, then he's worked on the Sabbath and so broken the law. But if he refuses to heal the man, then it looks like he doesn't care. Jesus again questions them about the reason for the law and the heart behind it. Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they do not answer. Verse 5 says that Jesus was deeply distressed by their stubborn hearts. His concern is about their lack of compassion and their blindness to see God's purposes right in front of them. They were so concerned with being right and catching Jesus doing wrong that they missed the point. Jesus embodies the goodness of God. He came to bring life. And that life is based on relationship with him, not religious rituals. Jesus has compassion on the man and cures him without needing to labor. He only speaks a word and the man's hand is healed. It's sad that the response of the Pharisees to this healing miracle isn't wonder at the love and mercy and power of Christ, but rather a plot to try and kill him. So we've whizzed quite quickly through those four encounters that Jesus has in our passage, all of which challenge our perspective on life. We've thought about the questions which I've put on the screen. Are there ways that we discount ourselves or others from following Jesus? Who are the people that our society might dismiss or be suspicious of or avoid associating with? Are there things in our lives that we are relying on to make us right with God rather than his gospel of grace? And does encountering Jesus lead us towards compassion for others or concern for our own reputation? All the way through Jesus' ministry, he's trying to help people to see life with a clear perspective. A life not bound by religion, but rooted in relationship with Jesus. To see that we need his gospel of grace and that we can choose to live by his grace. As we face life this week, we don't go on our own. We have Jesus' spirit with us who helps us to see things as they truly are. As we go out from this place, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name.